Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is on incidental findings on CT, uh, vascular and biliary gallbladder. And we've had several lectures before that I've given on uh, incidental omas. And this is, in fact, another lecture on incidental omas, but this was some of the areas we did not cover previously. And just to remind everybody what is an incidental oma, it's very important to us. It's an unsuspected finding in an organ and organ system that is not the primary source of the patient's presentation. And of course, the key is trying to determine which ones are significant and need further workup, and which ones are just incidental leave alone findings. And even in uh, journals like the New York Times, the incidentaloma problem is often discussed. CT scans often turn up incidental problems that are better left untreated. Now, again, we also know that a percent, depending on the article, three to five or maybe a touch higher percent of incidental findings will indeed be important. We detect cancers and many other things that will change patient management, but it's very critical that we have some sort of strategy in dealing with these. Now, I've also spoken to you before about the fact that when you have incidentalomas, it's very important that within the same practice, within the same group, we really have some sort of similar way of dealing with processes. You hate to have 10 radiologists and have 10 different strategies. So it's important that within your own group, you do discuss this and come up with some rational uh, recommendations. So with vascular, what I'm going to focus on is one of the articles from the American College of Radiology looking at the white paper and their recommendation for incidental findings. And Generally, their recommendations are pretty good, uh, they're pretty mainstream, but they're worthwhile thinking about. So this one will be on vascular. So let's start with the abdominal aortic aneurysm. Abdominal aortic aneurysms are uh, not uncommon. It's actually the 10th most common cause of death in the Western world. Uh, abdominal aortic aneurysms are usually described by their relationship to the renal arteries, suprarenal or infrarenal or juxtarenal. In terms of diameters, is often the question, how large is a normal aorta? Suprarenal, we talk about three centimeters. Inferrenal, around two centimeters. We talk about aneurysmal dilatation when it's greater than three centimeters or when the aorta is dilated to greater than 1.5 times its normal diameter. When you look at those numbers, uh, about 9 to 10% of people over age 65 in the U.S. will have an abdominal aortic aneurysm. For most patients, abdominal aortic aneurysms like this one are inconsequential. They usually do not keep growing. They typically are stable, and they will cause no problems. Obviously, in some percent of cases, these will continue to enlarge, and in theory, they can rupture and cause the patient's demise. So it's really a strategy of how we deal with these aneurysms. Obviously, the larger the aneurysm, the more the danger. Now, it's important to recognize that if you have an abdominal aortic aneurysm that's growing or is above a certain size, and typically we talk about a size of over five centimeters, then uh, we might consider elective surgery. Now, remember, with elective repair of aortic aneurysm, whether it's open repair or now more than ever endovascular type repair, the mortality is indeed relatively low in the 4 to 6% range for elective repair, but an uh, emergency surgery is almost a 50% mortality. Now, when you look at the complications, rupture occurs with increasing frequency as the aneurysm exceeds 5 centimeters. 
And the five centimeters always is a critical mark. Five to 5.5 cm, many people will say that is a key jumping point for doing elective repair. Now, sometimes patients have comorbidities and so people become more conservative, but for most patients that five to 5.5 cm is a critical feature. Now, let's say you do detect an aneurysm in a patient how often do you need to rescan the patient, whether it's with CT or MR or ultrasound? And you can see by this chart that depending on the size, the follow-up will change. For larger aneurysms in the five centimeter range, perhaps you're following every six months. For aneurysms in the three centimeter range, then you're following every three years. Now, this was the recommendations of the American College of Radiology. It's not exactly a perfect set of recommendations, and your vascular surgeon may have different ideas, but it gives you an idea simply to note that the larger the aneurysm, the more frequent you're gonna be following it. And when you have an aneurysm like this, there's no doubt that following may not be the great strategy. You can see here the size and you can see the angulation, but in this case, this patient needed surgical repair. Now the patient could not get endovascular repair because of the sharp angulation in the patient's abdominal aorta just above the bifurcation. In other cases like this, you can see the abdominal aortic aneurysm, which is almost by lobe. You can see involvement of the left common iliac. The frequency will be more common in order to make certain we're looking and seeing if there's any change in aneurysm size. Of course, one of the challenges on the first exam you have is you're not really certain if the aneurysm is stable or it's growing. And that's why often shorter term follow-up is done with the first sitting. Now, I showed you in the last case, the aneurysm also can involve the iliac vessels. And typically when we do an abdominal CT, when we're looking at an aneurysm, we'll scan from diaphragm through symphysis and again it will vary this what you do see on an individual study because perhaps an aneurysm is detected on a pancreas or a liver study but when you scan downward it's not uncommon to see the common and internal iliacs uh, involved as well as the external iliacs an iliac artery aneurysm is defined as a vessel greater than 1.5 times the diameter of a normal iliac artery or over 2.5 centimeters in dimension. So 2.5 is a good number, think of that one. Iliac artery aneurysms are rare in isolation. Uh, most of the time they occur as an extension or as part of an abdominal aortic aneurysm. Aneurysms that are under three centimeters in diameter tend to be asymptomatic, rarely rupture and expand slowly. If it's over three centimeters, careful follow-up is indeed necessary. If there is no change in size, you are still going to be following the patient on a yearly basis. So that's a very, very important number, very important to remember and really recognize that iliac artery androms also will require careful follow-up. Now, when we get past the abdominal aorta and iliac vessels, we recognize that essentially any vessel in the abdomen can have an aneurysm. Now, of course, there are certain conditions, Ehlers-Danlos, Lois-Dietz, maybe Marfan's, where the frequency of aneurysms is more common. But again, we're talking about here incidental findings. We're not talking about the syndromes when there's high suspicion and we're much more aggressive in terms of management. We're talking about these other cases, incidental findings. So splenic artery aneurysms, particularly in older patients, are not uncommon. Splenic artery aneurysms are in fact the uh, third most common intra-abdominal aneurysm and the most common visceral artery aneurysm. 
one of the things that uh, we recognize is the vast majority of true aneurysms, although pseudoaneurysms can occur, when they do occur, it's most commonly due to prior pancreatitis or other causes of infection, but pancreatitis is typically number one. The estimates of prevalence of splenic artery aneurysms vary, uh, but typically under 1% of uh, studies will have it, and again, a higher frequency in certain patients. Patients who are more likely to have splenic artery aneurysms, patients who are hypertensive, patients who are obese, patients with coronary artery disease or hypercholesterolemia. It's also more common to see splenic artery aneurysms in women, particularly women who have had multiple childbirths. Now, when you ask the question, I see a splenic artery aneurysm, what do I do? Well, typically under two centimeters, the answer is do nothing. Over two centimeters, we have more of an issue. Some of the risk factors that make us more concerned include increasing size of an aneurysm, occurrence of women in the childbearing years, patients with cirrhosis, particularly associated with alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, and symptoms such as pain, which can be attributed to, to the aneurysm. And again, certain patients, like cirrhotics, are really the ones that I most worry about, particularly for true aneurysms. Now again, the literature has some follow-up, and we all know we see many uh, aneurysms of the splenic artery on a routine basis, particularly in older patients. Um, in one review of patients who were followed with small splenic artery aneurysms, the mean aneurysm growth rate was under 0.06 centimeters yearly, with the most rapid growth rate noted to be one centimeter over almost uh, five plus years. So again, most of them, if they do grow, are growing very slowly, so it's typically not something you need to worry about. In the group of under two centimeter aneurysms, none of the aneurysms ruptured. Uh, at best, one would recommend a yearly or bi-yearly surveillance. Um, if lesions are over two centimeters, depending on the comorbidities, either closer follow-up or potentially intervention is necessary. Just a few examples. If you see an aneurysm like this, one centimeter, not a whole lot to worry about. Or this one, coming close to two centimeters, I think we would follow this one up. We don't see any comorbidities in terms of pancreatitis, but the patient is somewhat obese, and you can see this aneurysm projects off the vessel nicely. There's often a question, what if the aneurysms have calcification? Are these less of a risk? Well, if it's calcified and there's no flow, there's no issue, but calcified and uh, good flow, as in this case, probably makes you a bit less of a risk, but not a whole lot less. And here you can see another nice example of a calcified splenic artery aneurysm with flow in the center of the aneurysm. And here's just a couple nice 3D images showing you that as well. Very nice example. Of course, if the aneurysm is incidental like this one, but is measuring close to five centimeters, there's no great magic. The only decision here is, can I embolize or do I need to resect? You have an aneurysm this large, the risk of rupture is way too high, and this will indeed be removed. Now, I mentioned the cases we do worry about also in terms of growth of patients with comorbidities like cirrhosis, Here's a cirrhotic liver. You see an aneurysm under two centimeters in the hilum of the spleen. The spleen is markedly enlarged. The patient has portal hypertension. And these are typically the cases I am indeed going to be worried about. 
couple facts just to remind you again as we commented. Third most common intra-abdominal aneurysm. Frequency, again, depending on the population, but in general under 1%. More common in women, but more likely to rupture in men. And as we mentioned, there are a number of different uh, causes. I think atherosclerotic changes uh, in multiple vessels are the most common, but hypertension, including portal hypertension, cirrhosis and pregnancy, as well as liver transplantations are typically the things that make the list. And again, just a couple more examples of splenic artery aneurysms. But I also want to show you, um, when I think about splenic artery aneurysms, or I think about any aneurysm, I'm always very careful to look at all of the vessels carefully because I think once a patient has one aneurysm, there's an increased incidence of having more than one. So in this case, it looks like a classic splenic artery aneurysm, densely calcified, no problem. But as I scan down the patient, you can now see that there's a uh, large right renal artery aneurysm very nicely shown in this example. So this patient has splenic artery as well as renal artery aneurysms. It's very important to recognize and look for multiple aneurysms. Now that's a great transition point because now I can speak about renal artery aneurysms, which are another not uncommon finding. Again, a small percent of the population, more common, again, in patients with atherosclerosis. You can get pseudoaneurysms following trauma. It can be related to fibromuscular dysplasia. So again, it's a small percent, but the number one cause is going to be patients with hypertension. Most of the time with renal artery aneurysms, they're small, patients are asymptomatic and have little clinical significance. However, sometimes they will enlarge and sometimes they will rupture. I will admit the ones I've seen rupture are more common in patients with syndromes like Ehlers-Danlos. And here's just a nice example of two different cases of renal artery aneurysms. You can see one is more lengthy and one is more focal. Again, uh, size-wise, uh, the question is what do you do with these? These are one centimeter aneurysms. Do you need to resect them? Do you need to coil them? Do you need to embolize them? It's a good question. In the ACR guidelines, the suggestion is to repair all aneurysms over a centimeter if the patient has uncontrolled hypertension. Under 1.5, we can routinely, in a patient who's not hypertensive, simply follow the patients. In one series, they typically did not enlarge and they did not rupture. So the recommendation is a reasonable imaging follow-up interval in asymptomatic individuals is every one to two years. Again, ultrasound may be used, MR or CT. Larger aneurysms over 1.5 to 2, one should consider repair. And that is pretty much the strategy. So again, you can see that regardless of the vessel, splenic artery or renal artery, two centimeters always is a critical point. Renal artery, many people say 1.5 centimeters is the critical point. As I mentioned, renal artery aneurysms, etiology, atherosclerosis is number one, fibromuscular dysplasia, and then you go through some of the unusual things, neurofibromatosis, polyarthritis nodosa, and trauma. Okay, very, very important. Again, as I mentioned, some strategy in place, 
and I showed you the slide a moment ago. And again, size-wise, things become the defining feature. Now, in saying that, if you have a patient who has a syndrome, you need to be careful. This patient has vascular Ehlers Danlos syndrome. They get multiple aneurysms. You look at the right kidney in this case and look at the liver. In the liver, there's hepatic artery aneurysm. And this patient previously had a right renal artery aneurysm. Now in this patient with flank pain, what you can see has happened, the right renal artery aneurysm has ruptured. There's contrast extravasation. There's blood around the kidney. And this patient ended up with a nephrectomy. So in patients with these type of syndromes, you need to be much more aggressive. Uh, the rules indeed do change. Now, what else? Well, we can talk about uh, aneurysms that go beyond the renal and splenic artery, and there are many different circulations. And so splenic artery aneurysms are one of the things we'll think about, including hepatic artery aneurysms. But I'll tell you what we'll do is let's just take a break for a moment. Why don't you get some coffee? We'll rearrange the slides, and we'll pick it up right here in a moment. Thanks a lot. See you in a second.